0: Patience is a virtue. Not right now it isn't. Nothing says romance like a gift of a kidnapped, injured woman. Life finds a way. So pretty much
1: touch anything and get your head chopped off. I hereby
0: christen this budget Barbie
1: camper Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Mason, welcome to the 10th episode of Adventure Links. Yay! Yay!
0: I'm very excited to have made it this far.
1: Double digits!
0: Yeah, it has gone by very quickly, but at the same time, you know, we've been putting in a lot of work to make this happen, and it's really been great to see the feedback that we've gotten, and, you know, now we're kind of turning the corner into a new time of year. It's spring, we're thinking about what season two looks like, Mm -hmm. you know, all those things, so it's great to be here on the 10th episode What are we going to be doing today?
1: Oh, man, we're going to be doing Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It is our first foreign language film. It is Mm -hmm. a hugely influential martial arts film. It came out in the year 2000 and was really the first, I don't know, like what, mainstream movie of its kind, because I remember it being really, really huge. And obviously, China and many other countries have been making these types of movies for a very long time. But this is one of the first ones that really broke into the sort of American public consciousness.
0: Absolutely. And we'll probably dive into why we think it had so much success here in a little bit. But what were your first memories of this movie? Like, where were you in life when this made it to the big screen here in the U.S.?
1: Right. Well, so in the year 2000, I was 15. That was a big year for me because it was my freshman year of high school. Also, the summer of the year 2000, I did an exchange program with Northern Ireland. And so we had a student from Derry staying with us at the time. And I don't remember when in the year this came out, but I just remember 2000 for me was like, a am putting on my big girl pants, you know? Yep. I'm having international experiences. I'm a high schooler now. Yeah. And. I remember this movie fairly, I don't have like a hugely detailed memory of the plot. I remember some very like moving, tragic moments. And I remember mostly the visuals, though. I think the Mm -hmm. bamboo scene, I had never seen anything like the wire work. It's those images and those stunts and those fight scenes just like stuck in my brain because I'd never seen anything like it. And in a lot of ways, I still haven't. But tell me about you. How about you? Where were you? What was going on in Mason's life?
0: Well, I mean, I was three years behind you. So what would that have been? Sixth grade, seventh grade, Mm -hmm. something like that. And I remember at this time, you know, being the year after The Matrix and having that experience of visual effects, you know, entering into my life. That was actually one of the times where I really wanted to start pursuing visual effects for film as a career. Mm -hmm. And eventually... Diverted from that path, but this was, like, a really formative time in my life, visually, for movies. So you had The Matrix, which was very visually stunning and, you know, visual effects-oriented. But then, the next year, we kind of, like, shift away from that, right? You have something that is just as visually compelling, if not more visually compelling, but from a completely different angle. Mm -hmm. You know, all practical physical effects, incredible choreography, and that was kind of like a double whammy of awakening (laughs) for what can be represented in film and so this was really really cool for me i think it was also probably the first full-length foreign language film that i'd seen all the way through and i've held on to this as a favorite for many many years and yes the visual aspects the choreography the wire work all of that are great however The thing that actually sticks out to me is the two love stories that are kind of happening at the same time, but from completely different angles and attitudes. A lot of contrast. And generations, Mm -hmm. you know. And that's something that Ang Lee is very familiar with. His first three full-length movies that he directed, known as the Father Knows Best trilogy, are all about the dichotomy between a more traditionalist, older generation coming to terms with what it means to be in the new generation and also, you know, the Eastern versus Western family dynamics versus kind of like the self dynamics that are oftentimes promoted in Western culture. Individualist. Individualistic. Exactly. So seeing those two things on the same screen at the same time is also a very stark contrast. And then, you know, there's the clash metaphorically as well as the clash physically. Yeah. (laughs) And so I really enjoy this movie and kind of people being their true selves and showing love and affection in different ways, breaking out of the mold. And I'm really excited to watch it again, because it's been a little
1: while. I like that aspect of it, because I think it does a good job of showing you the value in the traditional instead of being like, here are these people stuck in the past. And here are these young people that they just don't understand. Yes. It's much more balanced than a lot of stories like this are. But I also wanted to point out, too, speaking of the year 2000 in film, there are a lot of interesting things that came out around this time. There are some great movies that have become favorites. There are some movies that are just super zeitgeisty, you know, just like, oh, yeah, 2000, Charlie's Angels, baby, you know. So I've got a list here, and I'm going to read it out. Year 2000 in film. The Patriot. Cast away. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: you say it that way
1: (laughs) well because we say castaway but it's not castaway one word it's two words cast away
0: yes it is (laughs) i guess i hadn't made that connection in my mind
1: he is a castaway (laughs) but he has been cast away
0: Yes, as soon as you pronounce it that way, (laughs) wow, I processed it completely differently. And now I understand the film. Oh,
1: yeah. (laughs) If I had said it from memory, I would have just said castaway, but I have it written down and it's two words. And so that's what happens. All right, castaway. Gladiator. Charlie's Angels, okay, so here we get to the, like, so Gladiator's fantastic, Castaway's famous, Patriot is famous, if it's not as good in retrospect, perhaps.
0: Well, I'm listening to this list, and I also know some of the things that are coming up, and I'm very curious as to why Charlie's Angels... Tops things like American Psycho. No, it doesn't. Or okay, but so Aaron like- Brockovich.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I'm realizing is I should have sorted these into like aughts, zeitgeisty stuff and then like mm. great movies. But I'm just gonna go through the list instead. Okay. So okay. I apologize. Patriot, Castaway, Gladiator, Charlie's Angels, Gone in Sixty Seconds, Mission Impossible Two, Meet the Parents, Requiem for a Dream, Aaron Brockovich, American Psycho, Woo, Memento, Snatch, Almost Famous. X-Men, What Lies Beneath, because I had to put some kind of scary thing in there, I don't know, for Mm -hmm. fairness. And then the number four grossing film of the year, What Women Want.
0: (laughs) And do not forget Thomas and the Magic Railroad.
1: Yes, yes. Also, what was that other one?
0: Oh, The Rugrats.
1: Rugrats in Paris, the movie. Rugrats in Paris, (laughs) the movie.
0: (laughs) Really robbed at the Academy Awards, if you ask me.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the top four grossing movies of the year, number one was Mission Impossible 2, number two was Gladiator, and number three was Cast Away, and then number four was What Women Want. So Mel Gibson had two of the top four grossing films of the year with The Patriot. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. This is before we knew more, (laughs) obviously. So big year for movies. Very split, I feel like, between stuff that has gone down as something of quality. I think people remember Memento pretty fondly. Obviously, American Mm -hmm, Psycho is a classic gladiator is a classic i think the patriot to a degree certainly aaron brokovich snatch i think it's fair to say but then you have these like amazing just movies of the time you know charlie's angels and gone in 60 seconds i have seen gone in 60 seconds so many times
0: i've seen it probably three times and it's good i like the cars yeah i don't rewatch it regularly though
1: i re-watch it anytime it's on tv it has Giovanni Ribisi in it. It's so, like, of its era.
0: That is not the movie we're talking about no, today. it's not. You're but... right. I'm
1: sorry. I got excited. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll talk about it at some point.
1: Yeah. But, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you is, so this movie is one of the first very serious martial arts movies that I had seen. I think up until that point, I had mostly seen stuff that was more for entertainment or f- just for fun. Mom is a big Jackie Chan fan.
0: Yeah, we watched a lot of Jackie Chan. Yeah. The Drunken Master type movies, which I still love, by the way. Mm -hmm. Great, great film making, great physical comedy, unparalleled in many ways. Yeah. So I don't want to let that moment pass by without saying how much respect... I have for Jackie Chan.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, and mom also would come on here and just be like, and here are all the things I learned about Jackie Chan. He grew up in an embassy and he learned to speak that. that, that. Mom is like packed full of Jackie Chan trivia facts. That's awesome. Yeah. And she's absolutely right. He's fantastic. But I think that angle of like physical comedy plus the impressiveness of just the stunts aspect of it. So I think I'd always seen martial arts movies as the stunt aspect of it rather than like Mm -hmm. the beauty of the choreography. And, you know, moving forward, I think this movie changed how I feel about a lot of that stuff and led to things like the movie Hero becoming one of my favorite movies. Right. Because the just sheer beauty and clean execution of those fight scenes in that movie are just stunning. And to this day, the scene where they're fighting in the chess garden while it's raining is one of those film scenes that looms large in my mind as an iconic image to me personally. And this movie is at the root of how I got to that.
0: Right. And in contrast to that drunken master type thing, the idea of somebody stumbling through but having a lot of martial arts capability and the flow of it is so completely different that the beauty and the technicality of the choreography in Crouching Tiger really sets it apart. And I can completely understand why you call it out that way.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's making me think like, I feel like we talk about mom's influence a lot. And I think mom brought a lot of comedy, action, action comedy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's sort of where she lives. She loves sports movies. She loves Jackie Chan. She loves comedy. She loves The Jerk. But like when I think about dad and his influence on our film taste, it was kind of always the more serious films. Like he always wanted to go see the prestige movies, you know, Mm -hmm. the Oscar winners. And I feel like from that perspective, this would have been one that dad probably picked.
0: Very possibly. Yeah, I also associate our dad with, you know, epics and mm -hmm. things like that. And I do put this kind of into the epic category. And in researching this movie and remembering it, maybe very analytically, I put it into the epic box more than I put it into the adventure box. And so it's going to be interesting to talk through that towards the end, you know, now Mm -hmm. that we're watching it through a different lens. But those big shots, you know, big sweeping scenes.
1: Oh, I love it.
0: And, you know, westerns, Mm -hmm. all of these things that have just miles and miles of landscapes and scale to them versus like physical comedy. The Jackie Chan stuff all happens in pretty enclosed spaces because that's how they have to work to Mm -hmm. make physical sense. So... I think you're right. I think this probably would have been one that dad picked.
1: Yeah. And China, particularly, is very interesting as a place that you could make a movie that feels like a Western. Because, Mm. you know, of course, you have huge cities, but a lot of these movies are set in other time periods. And a lot of times they're shooting in these big desert expanses or bamboo forests. Or, I mean, the epic landscape aspect of China is both really new to a lot of people visually, but at the same time, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, them get a little highbrow, but like the structure of it, the big forests and the big open spaces and the cliffs and the wind and all of this stuff, we have seen these things on film. So I think these types of Chinese epic films have this way of feeling familiar to an American audience that is familiar with Westerns and how they're shot, but has the exotic aspect of being in a place we don't see shot that way very much in america and then also of course the storytelling style is very big and epic and tragic and noble and all of that stuff too
0: yeah absolutely another thing that this movie does really well is even though it happens in ancient china as part of the wuxia type storytelling of you know ancient martial arts heroes It definitely has parallels to the modern day. As we talked about the traditional versus new age, those things play out today as well. You know, there's always an older generation, somebody who views things differently than you. And so this has a timeless feel to me that all of this could be happening now, kind of, even though the setting is however many hundreds of years ago, it still feels modern in many ways.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. And it's very vivid. It's very colorful. When I think about this movie, I think about colors. I think about the bright green of the bamboo. Mm-hmm. I think about rich red silks.
0: Yeah, there's a time that they're out in the desert and there are those red rocks. Mm-hmm. It's a color really, story. Really beautiful really? shots. Yes.
1: I love that. And it's also, why yep. I love Hero. But I'm going to stop talking about Hero because that's a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Okay. So, shall we?
0: Shut up and watch a movie?
1: Let's shut up and watch a movie.
0: All right. Sounds good.
1: Of eternal beauty and infinite mystery a legend was born the story of a warrior the woman he loved a daring outlaw and a princess destined to become a warrior Sony Pictures Classics proudly presents Chao Yun-Fat Michelle Yeoh, Zhang Ziyi, in an extraordinary romantic adventure from Ang Lee, the director of Sense and Sensibility, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And we're back.
0: We are. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if and we're back is enough for this movie, yeah. just because of how much weight it had for me watching it,
1: especially the ending. <laughs>
0: especially the ending. Yeah, okay. For our listeners, I'm a crier, <laughs> and <laughs> there were definitely some tears at oh, the end yeah. of this.
1: For sure, it is an emotionally impactful film. That is for the sure. Tr- yeah, and it's funny. I was just telling Mason this before we started recording. Prior to this episode, prior to this rewatch, when I looked back at this movie, what I remembered was it being very beautiful, but kind of emotionally complex for me at the time when I would have first seen it. So I think I was looking back like, oh, yeah, I have these images in my head. I remember the story being sad and complicated and tragic. And I think it didn't resonate with me personally at the time, the way that it does now that I'm an adult. Yeah. And now it hits the way it's meant to.
0: But now that our lives are complex and sad and tragic,
1: we can identify with these movies. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, it's true, you know, like when you're 15 years old or whatever it is, you don't understand what yeah. sacrifice really means, at least unless you're, I don't know, like a tiny baby Olympic athlete or something. Like, unless you've been Simone Bilesing it since you were a child, you know, you probably don't have much of a sense of sacrifice or of work ethic or, you know, I don't know.
0: Yeah, but I think you're right that this movie hit us at a time where we probably didn't have the emotional bandwidth to understand it. And going back and watching it now was a completely different experience. Also, as I mentioned in the first half, you know, I was coming off of a lot of hype from, like, The Matrix and Mm -hmm. these other kind of, like, visually stunning movies, and this one, its pacing is very different. The amount of time and space that it gives you to absorb the emotions of the scene is very different. And, yeah, back then I probably would have been like, okay, like, let's get to the next fight scene. I love these fight scenes, but watching it now, like... I don't put it into the adventure category really yet. I know that we're coming out hot with the takes. I still see it as an epic and more of a romance than anything else.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I agree. I'm not sure that I see it as an adventure movie really either. And it is certainly epic and it is certainly very romantic. The thing for me, though, is the story itself, the plot has such a gravity to it that like Mm. adventure movies feel often like just being thrown into the mixer and this is thrown at you and this is thrown at you and look at me I can weather it all and that's like what makes a great adventure hero yeah with this movie though it has the sensibility of like it's inevitable like every piece kind of falls into place with this weight you know it's Mm -hmm. not like oh no how did all of this happen it's sort of like well of course of course all of this happened You know, and it led piece by piece to this tragic kind of situation. So I agree. I don't think it is an adventure movie, but it doesn't stop it from being a fantastic movie. And I'm so glad we watched it.
0: (laughs) I love it so much. Oh, I love it so much. It's got to be up there in my favorite movies of all time. Mm. Even though I feel like adventure movies, best adventure movies, or favorite adventure movies of all time, gets a separate list. But in the combined list of favorite films of all time, this ranks very, very highly.
1: Yeah. You know, and another thing, too, that really struck me on this watch of it is how human it is. There is more comedy than you'd think. There's a lot of very felt and expressed emotion. I mean, the repression of feelings does drive the plot, in that Lee Mubai and Shulian, they have obviously been kind of denying their feelings for each other for a long time, but it's less of like a, oh, look how stoic everyone is and more kind of like, oh, look how tragic because of, so the plot line is she was engaged to this guy who was his best friend. And the mm-hmm. best friend died, and then they developed feelings for each other, but didn't feel like they could act on them because of that shared connection.
0: Hey, before we go too deep into all of those things,
1: mm-hmm. what do
0: you think about a plot summary?
1: <laughs> you know what? You're right. Before I describe I the plot, <laughs> I should probably describe <laughs> the plot. What do you think?
0: I think that's a great idea. Hey, <laughs> okay, let's do it. Okay. Everybody comfortable? Cell phone's off, right? Okay,
1: here we go. China. Qing Dynasty. Qing Dynasty a time of great beauty and a lot of badass women. This is not lost on Mu Bai, a famous swordsman who has a serious crush on longtime friend Yuxi Lian. He's retired, but she's still running a private security business and generally killing it. He has a favor to ask of her, that she take his legendary sword, Green Destiny, to their friend and patron day as a gift. See, he's been doing a little meditating and he came across what he describes as an endless sorrow. Probably because he's been hankering for the same woman for thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> After this discovery, he's decided to retire. This involves giving up on his mission to avenge the murder of his master by a fighter named Jade Fox, and he feels pretty guilty. So while Julien takes the sword to Serté, he plans to go to his master's grave and apologize. Julien arrives in Beijing to deliver the sword to Serté, who turns out to be a warm and straightforward guy who has long since clocked her feelings for Mubai and vice versa. He basically tells her to nut up and then invites her to stay the night before she leaves. So nice, right? A quick visit with an old friend and confirmation that your crush likes you too? Not so fast. She's not the only houseguest, and one of them is about to cause some trouble. Governor Yu's daughter, Zhao Long, or Jin, is about to be married and looks every bit the blushing, incredibly wealthy bride. She bats her eyelashes and admires Green Destiny, coyly mentioning that she has played with soldiers' swords as a child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry,
0: I just like I just like <laughs> mm-hmm. the sass on that one.
1: After nightfall, a slender masked thief who looks remarkably like our pretty pretty princess hiya's in and steals Green Destiny, running into Shulien and having an epic fight before escaping over a roof, mostly because Shulien seems to suspect who she is and doesn't want to hurt her. Back at Surtay's house, he and Shulian are discussing who could have taken the sword. Surtay's manservant, Master Bo, has traced it to Governor Yu's residence, and Surtay encourages Shulian to send word to Mubai. Instead, she goes to see Jin. They talk about womanly responsibilities, like getting married and doing calligraphy, and Shulian tells Jin the story of why she and Mubai can't be together. Like everyone else, Jin thinks that the reasoning is a little bit weak. While lurking outside the Yu house— Bo catches two people also spying and follows them back to where they're staying. This is Inspector Tsai and his daughter May. They aren't here for the sword, but to catch Jade Fox, who also killed May's mom. Bo confronts them, and they decide to team up and catch Jade Fox and recover the sword.
0: Do we ever find out why Jade Fox killed May's mom?
1: No. All we know is that Inspector Tsai says that his wife was quite the martial arts expert herself and that it would have been very hard to kill her. So no, we don't. I mean, probably some kind of rivalry, but that's the only info we get, is that she was also a martial artist.
0: Right, because I think the movie tries to humanize Jade Fox to some extent by talking about her experience trying to get martial arts training. But at the same time, you know, it wasn't just a one-off kind of revenge killing that took down Lee Bai's master there have been other people she has other murders. hurt in the process. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I don't think what we get of her expanded story completely absolves her of all of the things that she's done.
1: No, absolutely not. I mean, and she says to Jen at one point, oh, that's the life of a traveling fighter. Exciting, right? She likes that part of it, going mm-hmm. around and beating people and possibly killing them. So she's relatable in some ways, but she's definitely not a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Jade Fox is one step ahead and sends them an invitation to rumble that night in the form of a message attached to a deadly-looking dart. In the meantime, Serté has sent word summoning Mubai, who has come to Beijing thinking that this means that Shulian is finally ready to hook up. But no, it's more of the endless sorrow, because now they have to find Jade Fox and recover the sword. (laughs) The face you're making.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I know. Just more endless sorrow. More
1: endless sorrow. At midnight, Bo and the Tsai's wait for Jade Fox in a courtyard. When she finally arrives, we see that she's actually Jin's seemingly demure governess, and she is pissed. They have a fairly Keystone Cops-esque fight, until Mubai turns up all cool and confident. We learn that Jade Fox infiltrated Wudan to steal its secrets, and that Mubai's beloved master was perfectly happy to fuck her but not the teacher because, gasp, yes, she was a woman. Jade Fox is fierce, but we see that in spite of her skill, her anger and lack of discipline are a serious disadvantage. Mubai is about to kill her when a masked Jen turns up, wielding green destiny. They are much more evenly matched, and Mubai is stumped by how she could know the moves she does if Jade Fox is her master. Jade Fox is confused, too, because Jin has been hiding the full extent of her skill. In the fight, Inspector Sai is killed by a spiky thing to the head, and Jin and Jade Fox escape. The next day, Sir Tae, Mubai, and Xu Lian get together to strategize. Governor Yu's position at court makes it a delicate situation, so Xu Lian recommends inviting Jin and Madame Yu under the pretense of receiving some wedding gifts. During the visit, Shulian drops hints that if the thief just returned the missing item, Serté would be understanding. Moments later, Serté and Mubai turn up to greet them, and Jin looks pretty tickled with herself that he thinks she's just a society bride. That night, Jin returns to the day compound with the sword, and Mubai takes it back easily, but then chases her down and asks her to train with him. She's full of spite and lashes out, but lacks discipline and can't keep up with him. She calls Boudin a whorehouse and rejects his offer, running back to Jade Fox but things are different now that Jin has revealed the extent of her talent. They argue about the murder of Inspector Tsai, and Jin reveals that because she can read, she was able to learn much more from the stolen Wudan texts. Feeling betrayed, Jade Fox leaves Jin for good. Now alone in her rooms, Jin senses someone trying to sneak in, and is at the ready with a sword. It turns out to be Lo, a handsome bandit she fell in love with while traveling to Beijing. Flashback time! Jin and her mom are traveling in a carriage through the Gobi Desert, and Jin is passing the time by playing with a jade comb. The caravan is attacked by Lo's gang of bandits, and he steals Jin's comb with a jaunty wink. Not one to accept defeat of any kind, Jin jumps on a horse and tears off after him as he teases her about the comb. The chase takes them deep into the desert, where they fight until they're both too exhausted to move. Lo is funny and easygoing, and he's charmed by Jin's aggression. Because they've made it too far out to easily return, he takes her to a cave to rest. He cooks her wild chicken so she'll have the strength to fight him and makes her a hot bath, even though she conks him over the head with a rock, gets lost in the desert trying to escape, and stabs him in the chest with an arrow. <laughs> the fact that all of this hasn't scared him away, plus his singing and dancing skills, wins her over and they fall in love. Aw. I like their love story. Me too. Like, I get it. They're very sweet together. And he is oh, yeah. incredibly charming, too. He just takes it all. And not like a doormat in a doormat way, but in like, a, all right, you throw what you need to throw at me. And mm-hmm. you know, I think he's great. They're happy together, but they spot her father's men looking for her. Lo tells Jen that she must decide whether to stay with him or go back, because she might miss her family or get tired of a nomadic life. He promises to make his mark on the world and impress her parents, and he shares a local legend, that if you jump off a certain mountain with complete faith, your wish will be granted and you won't die. Ultimately, Jen leaves the comb with him and goes back to her family, but she tells him to bring it back to her when they can be together again. Back in the present, Lo tells Jen that he's been looking for her and can't let her get married. She tells him to go, and for a moment, it seems like he's going to respect her wishes. But the next day, he crashes her wedding procession and begs her to come away with him. Mubai and Shulian help him escape to wait for her in Wudan, if she chooses to join him there. It's Jen's wedding night, but when her new husband comes looking for her, she is nowhere to be found, and come to think of it, neither is Green Destiny. Governor Yu has asked her day for help, and with a knowing look... Shulian and Mubai assure him that they'll take care of it. Free from her unwanted husband, Jin has disguised herself as a young man and is generally being a dick to people about their names and dirty cups and things like that. But attitude problems aside, she is still a badass and is defeating everyone who challenges her, including an entire restaurant full of men, many of whom get insulted and tossed over balconies or whacked on the head with the flat edge of her blade. Mubai and Shulian have a romantic face-touching moment together while they look for her, but nothing is permanent, and letting go is the only way to truly possess what is real, so once again, we're back to the endless sadness. They make a plan to rest at Shulian's compound before pursuing Jen, and Shulian heads there first to get things ready. But before Mubai arrives, Jen turns up. She's emotional about Lo and looking for comfort, and Shulian tells her that he's waiting for her in Wudan, and they can go back to Beijing and find a solution together. Jen accuses Shulian of trying to set them up and challenges her to a duel. Not subtle, this one. Not very trusting, either. Nah. <laughs> S- straight to the killing. <laughs> I do like that about her. Like, she spends her days pretending to be so demure that, like, when she's herself, she's just all-out aggressive. Yes. They have an epic fight. And even though Green Destiny is the superior weapon, Shulien is the better fighter. She defeats Jen but doesn't kill her, and in showing mercy, gives Jen an opening to wound her in the arm. Li Mu Bai has arrived, and sees Jin's shitty behavior, but he still wants to teach her, so he follows her into a bamboo forest, and they have a very unstable fight in the canopy. She says she'll let him teach her if he can take the sword in three moves. He does it in one, but she refuses to submit, and he throws the sword over a waterfall. She dives after it, and looks like she may drown, but before he can make it to her, Jade Fox swoops in and saves her. Jade Fox takes her back to a cave to rest, telling Jin that her parents will never accept her again, and now they only have each other. She drugs Jen and leaves to run an errand or something, but Shulien spots her creeping around in the forest and follows her. Mubai has been looking for Jen and finds the cave. He's trying to help her when Shulien arrives, having followed Jade Fox back. Jade Fox attacks, and Mubai manages to kill her, but is shot with a poisoned dart. Jen knows the antidote, but has to go gather the ingredients, leaving Shulien and Mubai to experience the endless sadness together for one last time. He tells her that he loves her, and they kiss in the moments before he dies. Jen is racing back with the antidote, but returns too late, and finds Julien cradling Mubai's body. Shulian takes up the green destiny, and Jen submits to being killed, but Shulian forgives her and sends her to Wudan to be with Lo instead. Reunited, Jen and Lo have one last night together, but in the morning, Lo is unsettled to find the jade comb next to him in bed. He rushes out to find Jen on a bridge over a misty ravine, where she asks him if he remembers the legend of the mountain, and asks for his wish. He tells her that he just wants to be together again in the desert. And when his eyes are closed, she leaps into the mist and floats away. The end. The end. It's a big story.
0: It is. I don't know that that plot summary could ever really capture the essence of the movie. <laughs> no. Nothing really can. And I'm not saying you did a bad job by any means, just that, like, <laughs> it is such a tragic movie that by the end, you've felt so much along with these people mm-hmm. that. I don't know how else to describe it other than to tell people to watch it because we're mere podcasters. (laughs) Uh, Famed director Ang Lee has done a great job with this. And I highly, highly recommend that you watch it.
1: Yeah, but that's not to say there's nothing to talk about because I have one million notes. (laughs) So many notes. I'm going to read to you the first bit of my notes. Okay. Soundtrack, which is a great note. Yep. Just soundtrack. Chow Yun-Fat's haircut. Michelle, yo, so lonely. <laughs> Stone rut in road. Show's old. Out without telling. Okay. Costume design. Okay, I'm going to stop you. I'm
0: going to stop you. <laughs> We've got like four points no, there. No, no, I
1: know, but like several of my initial notes are entire disciplines. Like I just made the note costume design. I made the note sound design. I yep. made the note soundtrack. Like yep. this is the scale that we're talking about. <laughs> Great job listing
0: elements of a movie.
1: <laughs> Cinematography. <laughs> I know, right? And then Michelle Yo So Lonely. <laughs>
0: yes. Okay, so let's start at the top. Sound design was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And soundtrack, sorry. Soundtrack, we get just so much Yo Yo Ma.
1: Mm, I love.
0: <laughs> yes. And Tan Dunn, is that his name? This
1: is a good moment to talk about the names thing that we were talking about yeah, earlier. So, do. obviously. In China and in many Asian countries, the family name is traditionally coming first, which is great. We can definitely handle that. One of the challenges, though, is a lot of the information we're getting is from IMDb. And some of these performers have kind of flipped their names to, like, an anglicized version on some of these professional platforms. So with people like Zhang Ziyi, it's pretty easy to tell. Like, Zhang is her surname, Ziyi is her personal name. And then on IMDb, it's Ziyi Zhang. Cool. I can handle that. Dun Tan, I am not sure. I think Mm -hmm. Tan is a surname, but I am not sure. So if we have not gotten anybody's name correctly, I am super sorry about that. Yep. Continue.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Tan killed it with the soundtrack, and it's hard to not knock it out of the park when you have some of those heavy hitters playing for you. So that was absolutely fantastic. I've been listening to it also, just on repeat as I go to bed every night.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, the music is stunning. The style of music, too. Classical Chinese music is so beautiful.
0: Do you ever think that certain cultures and certain instruments are really good storytellers for a specific type of emotion?
1: Absolutely.
0: Like, in this, the way that they are able to bring out longing, Mm -hmm. latent desire, you know, all of these kind of small emotions mixed in with the stunning visuals, that epic nature that we were talking about, is really heart-wrenching it's really incredible
1: yeah and it's even more incredible that he composed it all in two weeks did you know that
0: is that actually true
1: well i don't know but it's on imdb
0: that's okay
1: (laughs) it says dun tan or tan dun had only two weeks to compose and record the musical score and of course he won the oscar for best original score in two weeks bro What is there to say? Yeah. But it is stunning throughout the whole thing. And I think part of it is just the clarity, the simplicity of the instruments, and obviously the quality of performance from Yo-Yo Ma and the rest of the orchestral folks.
0: Yeah, I'm going to make a big statement here, and (laughs) it's also a segue into some of the other points you had on your list, which is that I think that this movie was so successful with Western audiences because of the intersection of great soundtrack... Like we said, that ability to communicate emotion through the music, nonverbal cues, the type of facial acting and you know, bodily acting that was done, showing different parts of a more formal culture versus, you know, a more modern culture, you could say, you know, people being more free with their emotions and their love. So that type of body language, plus the sound design as a whole, like The sound of the wind, the sound of the water.
1: The birds. There's a ton of bird songs. The
0: birds. All of this kind of combined to make it so that you're not so heavily relying on the written word if you're a non-Mandarin speaker, you know, reading through these things, you're able to pick up on so much of it outside of the text. Right. So I really picked up on that this time watching through.
1: I think it is a really nice combination of naturalistic elements with formal elements. Right. Like you mentioned, the sound I love. You know, there's wind through the bamboo, there's bird song, there's water, and not just like formal garden-type stuff, but living-in-the-world-type sounds and feelings. Mm-hmm. But then you also have these formal elements, and not just the cultural elements, but the filmmaking. There's a lot of static camera shots where they just left the frame very still or did super subtle little movements to follow a character, and that mm-hmm. kind of gives it this nice stillness that is really lovely. But I do feel like I want to say that there's a lot there in the writing too for any audience because it is not overly stoic or staid. You know, the one of the characters that jumps to mind first for me is so like at the beginning of the story, when Michelle Yeoh's character, she is going to take the sword to Sir Tay and... They have this wonderful sort of exchange where he's like, "Why is Limu Bai doing that?" You know, uh, like
0: he's got to be—he's so great, my favorite character. <laughs> yeah,
1: he is. He's like, "Oh, that's fine. I'll be the custodian of the sword. Sure, whatever." When are you two gonna hook up? Yeah, <laughs> and he's so direct and warm and funny. You know, he just really flies in the face of that kind of martial arts stereotype master. He's not talking in riddles, he's making jokes, and he's just this fantastic character. And he's got some really great lines, including one that yes. I wrote down, which was, when it comes to emotions, even great heroes can be idiots.
0: <laughs> yes, so that's one of my favorites.
1: Yeah, I have
0: a theory about this. So he, as a martial arts master, has gone through the life that the Mubai has. So he also would have had a master. He probably has experienced much of what this couple has, you know, The idea that you have to put yourself and your desires to the side for a craft. And, you know, he's gotten to this point now where he's out of the game, as it were, Mm -hmm. and sees these people kind of reliving what he has lived and is probably like, guys, you can't let this slip by. You have to act on it. Probably because he's made that mistake. And I think another funny thing is that we talk about these two generations, the generation of jen and the generation of shulian as being you know one very formal one much more loose her going after or embracing the love of somebody else that is not quote-unquote meant for her Mm -hmm. and shulian and Limubai taking a much more cautious approach to love and I think it's funny because if you go a generation back from Lima Bai and Shilian you're back at the master and it's like the cyclical thing yeah. of he is now seeing the mistakes of the people Below him, and yep. I just thought it was really funny that you don't get more traditional and more conservative, you get the <laughs> people that are willing to be more honest with yeah. themselves because of their life experience.
1: It's the classic every generation, you know, it's this dance between like responsibility and rebellion. Right. Every generation is just rebelling against their parents. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. But I love him coming into the story early. He kind of introduces this, oh, we're going to get some humor. We're going to get some lightness. We're yeah. going to get some warmth in humanity. And it's not just about martial arts and just about tragic storytelling. It's also about we're painting with the full palette of humanity here. Yes. Another moment that I really love that does that is, so fairly early on in the story, obviously we meet Jen and she is presented as this beautiful, pristine She's going to get married and she's this wealthy woman and she's got all the jewelry on and she looks perfect. But obviously she is more than that and steals the sword. And then she and julianne have this great courtyard fight, which is yep. so incredible. And we'll come back the to that. The very
0: first fight scene. Oh, just so good. <laughs> so good.
1: Killing it. I think that might be my favorite scene in the movie because it's just such a badass fight. Mm-hmm. This movie comes in hot with like lady fight scene. This is what is setting the tone for the martial arts in this movie. It's these women fighting, and they are so incredible. And I believe that every actor in this movie did their own fight scenes.
0: I think you're right.
1: Well, at least it says the actors almost invariably performed their own stunts, and CGI was used to remove the wires. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so they did an incredible job of that. And then, like, one scene later, we have this scene going through a market, and in the back of the market scene, these two men are just having, like, a slap fight. (laughs) Which just, to me, it's fairly subtle, but it's really hilarious to go from this like incredibly high level fight between these two female leads. And then in the market, you have these guys, they look like they're fighting over somebody knocked over somebody's cart of something or stole whatever. And they're just like two fat men slap fighting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's so good.
0: I don't know if it was that exact fight scene. But part of what I was reading said that during an early fight scene, and you know, these things can be filmed Mm non-chronologically, but that Michelle Yeoh actually tore her ACL during the filming of one of those early fight scenes and then flew to the U.S. to get knee surgery (laughs) and then flew back in order to film a lot of the non-combat scenes. So in a lot of the non-combat scenes, she's actually acting with a mended ACL and then, once she had fully recovered, was then able to go back and film the rest of the fight scenes that she appears in.
1: Yeah. Michelle Yo's commitment to this role is impressive. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I read was that she took the year prior to filming off just so she could focus on learning Mandarin and training because she you know she's not Chinese. she was born in Malaysia, I believe, and then moved to, I think London as a Teenager, so she's a very international kind of background, but didn't speak Mandarin. So, first of all, that's impressive. The training Mm -hmm. for the fighting is impressive. The knee surgery coping is definitely impressive as well. You know, and speaking of the fight scenes, one thing that I thought was pretty fascinating is apparently. In the first draft of the screenplay, they didn't describe any of the fight scenes. I just basically left it and then went back to dialogue. And a note in that draft said, You will note in the script that none of the fight scenes are described, and I will just inform you now that they will be the greatest fight scenes ever in the history of cinema, period. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I just love that so much. I think, like, as a writer, like, I'm going to sit here at my desk and just be like, story, story, story. By the way, Someone is going to have to choreograph and perform the greatest fight scene in the history of cinema. Okay.
0: (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) And now we're going to talk
1: pretty and look nicely. I just think it's amazing.
0: Speaking of talking pretty and looking nice, I think one of the things you said while we were watching this movie is, first of (laughs) all, we both have an extreme appreciation for Michelle Yeoh. Yes. And so seeing her pop up on the screen, you know, we both had our like, (gasps) Yay! We (laughs) love her so much. And then you were like, Michelle Yeoh might be the only person to look great as an ancient Chinese warrior and also with hot dog hands.
1: Yep, yep. You know, it's just, she's very flexible as a performer.
0: She's got range. She's
1: got range, yeah. You know, we haven't talked too much about Chao Yun-Fat either, but he deserves a ton of credit, obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously, mm-hmm. as well. And he has this wonderful warmth in his smile, even when he's being serious. And I think it's in his eyes as well. I really enjoy him in this, even though yes. his hair cut is eh. something.
0: It is period accurate.
1: Yeah. I mean, I go. assume so. <laughs> I don't know. If not, then why did you do that?
0: Well, so. no, I'm just <laughs> trying to...
1: Is it period accurate? Do you know for sure? Yeah. I yeah. don't. Okay. <laughs> I'm just
0: trying to say, like, I don't want to say anything bad about it because it wouldn't be flattering on the street today, maybe, but
1: mm-hmm. I no. think he pulls it off. I don't think it was invented to be flattering.
0: <laughs> no.
1: But I did read that they apparently had to do, like, a computer mock-up of what he looked like bald before he agreed to shave his hair. <laughs>
0: oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: So they were like, no, this is what it's going to look like. And he was like, okay. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, there is not a performance in this movie that I have a problem with, really. I really love that sequence, basically where she meets Lo. Yeah. They're traveling, they're on the road, they're going through the Gobi Desert. They're in the carriage, and she looks like a little princess, and she has her little jade comb. And then, you know, bandits! And the location where all of that is taking place, you know, this beautiful Gobi Desert Mm -hmm. scenery with the mesas and the color of the stone, like, that is such a beautiful location and then you get this wonderful sort of like windswept feeling and also just the fights are kind of awesome and hilarious. Yeah. She just like jumps on a horse and just tears off and we have some very nice horseback riding scenes. <laughs> She's got no quit in her and they just fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. And then they fall in love.
0: <laughs> and I know you're also a sucker for textures and mm-hmm. there are a lot of beautiful textures out there. They're really you know, are. the cracking of the dry dirt when they come up to the creek that used to be a creek, but is now not a creek anymore. And, you know, the scrub brush, all that. It's really a stunning sequence of events.
1: We haven't talked very much about Jen's boyfriend? Lover?
0: Lowe. Yeah.
1: low Oh my god. He was a bright spot for me in the rewatch. He's funny and kind of tongue-in-cheek. But then also, he's such a romantic. Like, there's this one point where he says, well, if it were our daughter, and I was just like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Right. He is a bandit leader, and he is out here fantasizing about having daughters with this girl. Like, it's adorable. I love him so much. One of the notes that I made was Lowe's infinite patience. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Just because she is fighting him and fighting him and fighting him. And, I mean, even when they're together, she's still, like, up in his grill. And he is just like Mr. Smile and Laugh through it. And I just love him.
0: <laughs> she just really likes that comb, actually. She
1: wants the comb. Yeah. It
0: wasn't about him at all.
1: Mm-mm.
0: No, no, it's great. The fact that she kind of like relentlessly chases him down for this comb. And the comb quickly becomes...
1: Symbolic.
0: Symbolic, right. <laughs> and it's not at all about the comb. And eventually... She even gives it to him and says, Mm -hmm. you know, come find me when you have gotten to this place where we can be together. Mm -hmm. Because he was still dealing with a lot of things and she had to go back to her family. Otherwise, you know, there would be this manhunt and he even encouraged her. You have people that are worried about you. You have to go back and reassure them that you're okay. And at that point she said, okay, well, keep this until you were ready to come find me. So,
1: I mean, for a man named Dark Cloud, he really is quite the bright, bright light. <laughs> that was clever. <laughs> I have a little list here.
0: <laughs> you couldn't wait for somebody to tell you that that was clever.
1: No, it was. Well, the thing is, like, I said it and I was immediately like, ugh, I hate that. And so I had to, like, make fun of it.
0: That's okay.
1: But I do have a little list of like, I wrote down all of his little lines that I loved. There's a point where they're looking for water and he's like, there's a creek up here. And then they get up there and it's fully dry. And he's like, well, there used to be. Yeah. yeah. And then there's another point where he just tells her, and I quote, no more hitting on the head. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) you know and his little moment where he's letting her take a bath in the cave you know and he's like I'll sing so you know where I am and then he mm-hmm. does a silly little dance and he's out there like singing to himself and doing his yeah. little, little dance <laughs> he is so endearing yes i love him
0: (laughs) yes and then we both were watching this and he comes to find her eventually and brings the comb by this point though she has gotten engaged and you know she's living this other life and she feels as though it wouldn't be right to renew that relationship with him and she just says you have to go it's not here anymore What we had is gone, and you have to accept that. I
1: mean, she's lying, but she does say that, yeah. (laughs) Right,
0: but she says it, and he respects it, and he walks off, and we're like, oh, good for him. You know, she said no. He's so mature,
1: yeah. He's so mature
0: for just walking away. (laughs) Immediately, next scene, Jen, take me back! I love you!
1: He just, like, <laughs> yeah. runs
0: into this parade with a horse, zero plan, just knows he loves the shit out of this woman, and yeah. is ready to <laughs> risk everything for her. And so, like, uh. it's almost as endearing that he was like, yes, I can handle this. I can go, <laughs> no, I can I can't. respect no, I can't. her. No, I can't, handle No, it. I can't, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I love both sides of that.
1: Yeah, he's a very lovable character. But, you know, then so is she in her way, and actually... Their names have meanings that correspond to these personality traits that we're describing.
0: Do you think that if he and Jen had a child, if he's Dark Cloud, would she be Silver Lining?
1: Aww, that's both cute and womp womp. Sad trombone. (laughs) Sad trombone. So going back a step, this movie is loosely based on a book that was a set of serialized stories, I guess, from 1941 and 42. Yep. So all of this to say, I don't know when these names were chosen, if it's for the movie or if they're characters from the book, because it is a loose adaptation. But apparently Lo's name means little tiger, and Jen's name is gorgeous dragon. And boy, howdy, is she a gorgeous dragon.
0: <laughs> it's true. I had quite the crush when oh, I was yeah. a kid.
1: I mean, she is both of those things, like, fully. And my favorite example of that is the restaurant fight scene. Mm-hmm. So this man comes up to her and announces himself. And it's all these guys near Wudan, I guess, who are kind of showing off their impressive skills and names and everything. And one guy's name, unfortunately, happens to be Gao, or I hope I'm pronouncing that right, or Go, G-O-U, which is her husband's or fiance's surname and so he says this it triggers her to fight him she just tears it up like just demolishes hundreds of dudes and the building and then somebody says who is this go and the guy goes her husband and a room full of several hundred bruised men go oh, oh. <laughs>
0: yes.
1: i love that great so
0: scene great yes gorgeous dragon payoff. is angry Yeah, I really loved that scene as well because she's talking during it Mm -hmm. and she's almost treating it like I don't know how to say this like a poem, but also like a training session. She's like going through all of the motions and talking the whole time, and it's really just beautiful. Even though it's she's teaching these guys a lesson, she's not killing them, it's not you know a gory thing, she's just putting them in their place. Mm -hmm. Like, she'll hit them with the the broadside of her sword and It'll just knock them silly, and that's enough. And so when Emily says, like, she's demolishing the building... Yes. But at the same time, it's really just more about sending a message of, oh, you thought you were picking on a little girl... Here's the reality of the situation.
1: Right. No, you're right. But it is interesting because she doesn't kill the people, but she does demolish the building. I stand by that. By the end of the scene, whole staircases are falling down. Yes. But it is a fantastic scene. And that blomping on the head with the flat side of the sword is a lot of fun. Yes. I wrote down a note. I think it is in that scene that she calls herself Invincible Sword Goddess, which is just like (laughs) the most badass. That's like, right. <laughs> I love it.
0: we would thrown that one around as an episode title as well as mm-hmm. even great heroes can be idiots. Yep. So
1: I also like Lo's Infinite Patience. That's another one that I like. Yes. But also um, another title option would be a line from Michelle Yeoh. I prefer a Machete. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. So yeah, we've talked now separately about the relationships of Li Mubai and Yu Shulian and Yujin and Lo. But there's actually some cross-contamination, pollination, <laughs> where towards the end of the movie, now they have spent time together. And in the final scenes, Jen has a bit of a change of heart in terms of how she wants to approach her training going forward and wanting to train with Li And it is at this point, though, that the villain, who I'm just now realizing... We've only talked about this as kind of like a romance movie. And I think that's kind of telling, right? We've only yeah. talked about the, we didn't the talk romance about... aspect. We haven't talked at all about like the major strokes of the villains and the heroes <laughs> and the action, the whatever.
1: Well, the action and the heroes we have, but the heroes are no, in but love but with each other. Maybe that so. gives
0: you s- some <laughs> background true. or some perspective it's on true. what we get from this movie and what maybe it was intended to be. I don't know. Mm-hmm. but we get the scene at the end where Nimubai has been poisoned and Jen is working on an antidote. She is the fastest person to do this. She knows exactly where to go. She's a fast writer. She knows that she can go and get it quickly, get it made, bring it back to Nimubai before she believes that the poison would have taken full effect. And so she goes through this process. Unfortunately, she is too late And we get this very touching scene that Jin is not there to witness, but Limu Bai says, I've already wasted my whole life. I want to tell you with my last breath that I have always loved you. I would rather be a ghost drifting by your side as a condemned soul than enter heaven without you. Because of your love, I will never be a lonely spirit. Which is really beautiful. It is. And I cry every time. Anyway. Anyway. Jen isn't there to witness that exact moment, but when she comes back and she sees the rawness of Shulian and the fact that she wasn't able to save him for her, in a way. Mm -hmm. You know, like, she wasn't able to not just save him, but their relationship. And I think that gives her a lot of perspective on the time that she has been without Lo as well and what she has sacrificed, And I think that propels her forward into that relationship much better than anything else could have. So she is able to be more honest with herself seeing the end of that relationship or a transition of that relationship since we believe that they will be together in another life.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes the ending extra difficult. I mean, honestly, you could spend so much time talking about how to interpret that. But basically, you know, at the end of the movie, they have gone to Wudan, Limu Bai, which for some reason, like every other character, I find myself just doing their first name, their personal name. And then his, I always say it, the full name.
0: Well, in the movie, since he is kind of like this revered hero, I think people are more likely to say the full name. At least that's what I'm reading into it. And so I also do the same thing. Yeah. Rather than saying Mu I say Limu Bai. Yeah.
1: But anyway, he has helped because I think he too sees some of the missed opportunity that he and Shulian have had. He sees Jen and Lo. So he sends Lo to Udan to be safe until Jen can come and be with him. So she does that. She goes and they spend the night together and she leaves her jade comb for him and then goes down to the bridge. And he wakes up and realizes she's gone and walks down there. And there's this moment where I'm like, I didn't remember exactly the timeline of all of this. And I was like, please don't jump before he gets there. Oh my God. ah!" But of course he does and they speak a little bit and then he closes his eyes or something or turns a little bit and she just sort of uses her extreme martial arts powers to fly off the bridge and into the mist. Now, earlier in the movie, he has told a story about how there's a legend where he's from He's like, there's a legend that this mountain, if you jump off of it with complete faith in your heart, your wish will come true.
0: And you won't die. And you won't die.
1: This ending is a callback to that, but I am unclear on whether we as an audience are intended to believe that she believes this or whether it's some kind of pure show of faith, not necessarily in survival, but I don't know. I guess I struggle with nailing it down but also as a viewer I don't feel like I need to I can handle it being both things all things are true at once I think during our watch of it I said like let's leave the cat in the box <laughs> yeah but you know it's that uncertainty do we need to open the box and find out whether she died or whether she lived or can we just leave it closed and this is how the story ends
0: something that I kind of firmly believe in is that whenever there's a movie where there's a quote-unquote vague ending Hmm. that it leaves the door open to meeting people in different places and that you could say that it's cheap in certain cases but in other ways like you will be on one side or the other you know Mm -hmm. it will mean something much more impactful to you if you see that in your mind the first thing that it goes to is that she does die they don't end up together or, you know, the inverse where she lives on forever and her wish is granted that they are able to live their lives in the desert together. Yeah. And I'm not in the business of saying one way or the other. It's just that it's going to meet different people in different places. And right. for me, I'm going to keep my perspective to myself. Because <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> first of all, I don't want to color anybody else's perspective. But also, like, I don't really like talking about things like that. I like keeping them to myself a bit and having it mean something specifically to me.
1: Well, you know, and another question related to this too is if we're interpreting it as she is intending to make a wish, what is the wish? I mean, not necessarily super specifically, but...
0: She asks him what his wish is and then jumps.
1: Yes, she asks him. So is she wishing for what he wishes? Does she have a wish that like, if only I jump with enough faith... Maybe I can fix this thing that I did with these two other people because it's pretty much her fault, honestly, that Limo Bai died. I don't know. I mean, again, you know, I don't need to, but I will say one movie, another different movie that comes to mind for me with this topic, and not just the movie, but also the book, is Life of Pi.
0: Mm. Huh. Well, that's a great, you know, because that's also angley Is it? Yes.
1: I didn't realize. That. Literally. <laughs> oh goodness! Well, that's embarrassing. But I read the book before I saw the movie and both of them deal with this. So like for anybody who hasn't seen the movie or isn't familiar with the story, I'm not going to go into a whole big thing about it. But basically, this boy survives this incredible journey on a raft after the crash of a cruise ship. And when he comes back, he tells this incredible tale of being stuck on this raft with a bunch of animals, actual zoo animals, including a tiger named Richard Parker. Many people do not believe him. Psychologists think that he has spun a tale to represent people, human people he was actually stuck with. At one point, he has a conversation with another character where the person's like, which one is true? And he is like, well, honestly, it's really just like, what would you rather believe? Would you rather believe that what I described happened? Or do you find it easier to believe that I created this whole story because of the trauma of seeing the cook on the ship kill my mother? Mm Mm-hmm. And it's very Hindu, this idea of like multiple things being the case. There's this image in Hinduism of a string with a bunch of different knots in it. And the sort of philosophical question is the knot itself is a thing, but it's also a part of the string. The string is an entity, but each of the knots in the string are an entity. And this is used to kind of illustrate the deities and how a deity could be a manifestation of a larger divine entity. But... I think this idea becomes important anytime you're trying to say, how can multiple things be true? Mm. Is it true that there was a tiger on the boat? Is it true that the cook killed the mother? Can both of those things be true? What is truth? <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. stories can be true, but are they literal? And so anyway, all of this to say with an ending like this, I think having reference points like that help me say, you know, I think all of the above can be true and I mm-hmm. don't really need to nail down what I think actually happened.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a tough one to segue from.
1: It is, but I have a segue.
0: (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Thank you. Thank goodness that you can save me from
1: this. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so I thought I did and that I didn't, but I do have something to say, which is this movie is pretty feminist and not just because of female leads and like strong female leads, but just like lots of little details. Like there are all these nice little moments in the movie that just are pretty woman positive. There's a point at which Shu I don't remember exactly where she is, but basically she's going to this establishment where she knows the people. And she asks the guy like, oh, did your wife have her baby? And he's like, yes, we had a girl. And she's like, oh, good. And he's like, I'll be happy if she's half as strong as you are. And they're like, ha ha ha. They're just all these nice little moments where it's like positive about women. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I enjoyed that about it. And I just kept making little notes like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Like, yeah. It's funny because earlier you were talking about how we haven't talked about the villain and we didn't talk about her then either. We still haven't. (laughs) Jade Fox. We still haven't. haven't. So, technically, the villain of this movie is Jade Fox, but she's Mm. definitely like not anti hero, but like you understand. She's a sympathetic villain because basically the story is she wanted to study at Wudan, Li Mu Bai's master. Refused to train her, but did have sex with her. So Mm. she has this whole like, oh, you'll fuck me, but you won't train me, huh? So even in just surfacing those kinds of issues, it is, I don't know, pretty feminist movie, I guess. But she is an interesting character. She is. And her relationship with Jen is interesting as well.
0: And you can tell also that Jen has picked up on a lot of this because when Limu Bai invites her to Wudan to train... She basically rejects him out of hand saying, why would I go to that whorehouse? Mm -hmm. I know what happens there. Why would I as a woman ever go? Because it is also referenced earlier in the movie that it is a male only type experience. Experience makes it sound like you pay $30,000 and then (laughs) go to the hills of Sedona and I don't know. Right. No, it is a training ground for men. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Jade Fox had that experience definitely has passed down to Jen. And rightfully so. So she is super, super cautious about that. Obviously, it wasn't Lee Mubai that perpetrated those things, but I can understand her...
1: Yeah. hesitance. But like, even when he knows that that happened, we as an audience don't know if he knew at the time or what level of like complicity, whatever. But even when he's confronted with that this happened, he doesn't really have much to say about it. His whole arc in this basically is like, I am a famous swordsman, his meditation and the confronting the endless sorrow, and he decides to retire, but he feels very guilty that before retiring, he has not avenged his master. Mm-hmm. Avenged him because he was murdered by a woman that he assaulted, I guess? Right. Or whatever. We obviously don't have much detail about what happened. But counterpoint to my whole little, this movie is pretty feminist thing, eh, there is the side of our archetypical good man in Lee Mubai does not acknowledge, really.
0: Right. And... I don't know how much it even enters into his consciousness or like the narrative in his head because like the thing for him was the avenging.
1: Yeah, you killed my master.
0: He doesn't have necessarily the full context of it all. And he's been spending his entire life with this person and he didn't see the same ugliness.
1: But he had to see some of it because Wudan is this isolated place. If there are physically women there... Who are not allowed to train. It's hard to imagine that he didn't observe. Yeah, He's the smart man. He knew something. But sure. also another thing too is when he ultimately asks Jen to train with him, I think she says oh, well, but women aren't allowed to train with Dan. And he's like, yeah, but you're special. You're different. Like, we'll make an exception. Yeah. It's never like, oh, crap. I guess maybe these dudes aren't the only ones with the skills that are good enough to come here. It's we'll make an exception because you'd be dangerous if we didn't. You've already right. got the knowledge, you know. So it's not perfect.
0: <laughs> Another question that I have, and maybe this is answered. As Emily alluded to, this is part of a five-part novel. This movie takes place basically where the fourth novel would be. And so there's a lot of context outside of this that we don't have. We were only presented with this specific story. And so there may be more to it that I'm missing out on. But we also don't know why Jade Fox was even there in the first place. Was she also kind of told something similar to get her there, but then was exploited? You know, we don't really have the context of how she got to Wudan, and why she was also allowed to be there, even though her intent was to train, their intent was clearly different.
1: Yeah, I did find it. And oh, it has spoilers. Okay. Do you want to know the spoilers?
0: I do, because I would love to believe that I would go back and read a fully translated version of these books, but I do not believe that that is reality. So... I would love for you to spoil the other novels.
1: Okay. Breaking news. She doesn't die. (gasps) Right?
0: No! Take it back! Take it back!
1: Well, I asked you if you wanted spoilers, (laughs) man. Like, what spoilers did you think I was gonna... Like, there are five books. I'm looking at what happens in the next book. What do you think I'm looking for?
0: (laughs) Okay, never mind. (laughs) I didn't realize we were talking about those types of spoilers. (laughs) What? No, that's that's fine. (laughs) Retroactively. Oh, man. If you didn't want that spoiled, (laughs) unhear it. Just unhear it.
1: Okay. (laughs) (sighs) No, that's
0: fine. Okay. So, but if you're okay and you have not unheard what you just heard. (laughs) Emily, please tell me more.
1: (laughs) No. No, no, you can go on this website and read the summary of the book because I have been burnt now for telling you. No, I mean, I'm just kidding. So basically, here is the English language summary, part five, which is called Iron Knight Silver Vase. On a snowy winter night, Yu Zhao Long, which is, so I did read that Jin is the version that they used in... Oh, gosh. Was it with Cantonese audiences? And that's mm. why like we got it in translations. But you'll notice like if you're listening to the movie, or when you read Jin, they do not say Jin.
0: I did notice that very yeah. clearly.
1: So here, at least in this translation, it's Yu Long. But on a snowy winter night, Yu Long gave birth to a boy in an inn on the road to Xinjiang. Unexpectedly, but on purpose. <laughs> Who did this? <laughs> I don't think it was Michelle Yo. The web address is michellyeo.info. I don't think it's really on the um. website unexpectedly but on purpose her son was taken by an officer's wife who left a baby girl at a silver vase in his place okay sorry that was me analyzing unexpectedly but on purpose basically somebody stole her baby and put a baby girl there instead after failing to find her son yu zhao long adopted the girl and named her chun shui ping snow vase they lived together in the desert 19 years later yu zhao long left the desert to look once more for her son but got very ill along the way A young man named Han Ti which means Iron Aroma, a fantastic name, elected to take care of her. And then we continue. But basically, she didn't die. So, Okay. There you go.
0: Okay. Now that I have heard that and am burdened by its truth, (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'm really
0: curious now about what happens between the end of what we saw as Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and that. Like, wow.
1: But she did jump off a cliff in the book, too.
0: Yes. Yes. Okay.
1: So it says Yu Zhao Long decided to jump off a cliff, and by doing so, made people believe she had died. After doing so, this is a terrible translation, she went and spent one more night secretly with Lo Zhao Hu, and then she left him forever. She could not be the wife of a bandit and thereby bring more shame to her aristocratic family. She headed back to Xinjiang Desert alone from where she never returned, is what it says. Huh. Then later she does return because she gives birth to the boy.
0: Hmm. That's actually interesting to me that she's now gone back and forth with the aristocrat thing another time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There was some finality to it in the movie where I was like, okay, she's made her choice. And to hear that she then goes back to the aristocratic side of things. And we don't know what motivation it is that brings her there or what is on her heart at the time. But it is interesting to hear that that is how it plays out. Mm Because I really thought that she had gone with her heart and like that was going to be the end of it.
1: You know, one thing that I think we talked a little bit about at the beginning, but that it's worth at least calling out in a little bit more detail. Ang Lee said that he pitched this movie to Michelle Yeoh as... Sense and Sensibility with Martial Arts, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting because Sense and Sensibility is a book about sisters. Right. And putting that context around this movie and seeing it as a story about sisters, the sort of sisters being Jen and Shulien. And at one point, you know, of course, Jen says to her like, oh, we'll be like sisters and... The dynamic, when you think about it in the context of Sense and Sensibility, is kind of really interesting. And I definitely would like to re-watch it with that particular story in mind.
0: We could also watch actual Sense and Sensibility, the 1995 film, not for the podcast, yes, obviously. but with
1: Kate Winslet and... You gonna get it? I am, I can see it. Oh my god. She used to be married to Kenneth Branagh. She was in so many things, but did such a good job in Love Actually... Of being sad and. uh, No, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I'm on the spot.
0: So, that Simpsons Sensibility starring, yes, Kate Winslet, Hugh Grant, Alan Rickman, and Emma Thompson. Emma
1: Thompson! Oh my god, of course. Why? Do
0: you know who directed that movie?
1: No. Was it also Ang Lee? God damn!
0: Yep. So the comment of Sense and Sensibility with martial arts makes a lot of sense because in 1995, Ugh. he had directed an actual Sense and Sensibility that is a very good movie, by the way.
1: God damn it. Is every movie directed by Ang Lee?
0: <laughs> I'm just surprised that you've brought up multiple movies that provide great insight and context to this. Both of them yeah. directed by Ang Lee.
1: And I didn't know it either you didn't time. It.
0: That's pretty incredible to me.
1: Thank you for spinning this in a way that I can take some kind of credit for, because mostly I just feel like a dum-dum, but no, eh, no. it is what it is. Also, I'm very embarrassed that I couldn't remember Emma Thompson's name, but that's what that's I get okay. for recording a live podcast. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I think that framing this as a story of sisters is a very interesting take. Yes. And I do think, actually, that doing like a double feature of this movie and his sense and sensibility would be super cool.
0: It would be so cool.
1: We should do that next time we're in person. Yep. Yep.
0: I'm totally game. <sighs>
1: But with that i think i'm tapped out
0: okay i think i have said about all i can say as well if it wasn't clear before i really highly encourage you to watch this movie for yourself we have not done it justice in any sense (laughs) it's true and even though it's not an adventure film by most metrics including my own metrics i think it is well worth the watch Especially if you have seen it in the past and maybe were like us and, you know, couldn't get everything out of it during the first time. Like, if it came out when we were kids and you were a kid, it may hit very differently this time.
1: Yep. It definitely did hit me differently. And I now have much more nuanced and warm and loving feelings for it than I even did before. So, yeah, I'm really happy that we did it. And, Mason... What are we doing next?
0: We are going to be doing a very different type of movie, one that happens in Little China.
1: <laughs> Would you say that there is trouble there in Little China?
0: Not even little trouble, big trouble.
1: Big in trouble,
0: Little China.
1: <laughs> I know
0: that's hard to Drop put your together. Rounds. Yeah, yeah. No, we will be doing the Kurt Russell, big trouble, Little China. And it will be very different from this movie.
1: It will. And we're going to have a guest. We are. Our very first guest is one of my best friends, Rachel Vaughn. This is one of her favorite movies. And I am so excited to have her on the podcast and have her talking about a movie that I know that she knows in such detail and she has (laughs) lots of feelings about. So I'm excited for you to meet Rachel too, because as of our recording, you haven't met Rachel yet. Correct. And I think it's going to be truly a spectacular episode. Penultimate episode, in fact.
0: I'm very excited and I look forward to talking to you again on the next episode of... The Adventurelings.
1: Adventurelings. You can find us on Instagram at the Adventurelings. You can send us an email with all of your thoughts and feelings at the adventurelings at gmail.com. Probably some other places. Find us on any podcast platform if you use a podcast platform that lets you rate or subscribe or whatever, I don't know, positive things. Please do that. Yeah. We really appreciate it. But I've been wanting to say this. Even more importantly to me, at least, than that, if you have a friend who also likes adventure movies, or anybody that you think would actually enjoy talking about this with us, please just tell them. Yeah, Yeah. word of mouth. Your classic word of mouth.
0: We are weird people, and (laughs) we're building a weird little community, which is fun. Yes. So yeah, if you know somebody that is like-minded or enjoys a similar type of humor, we would love to have them along for the ride.
1: Yes. Please pass us along. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Oh my god.
0: The Adventurelings is filmed in front of a live studio
1: audience. <laughs> 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 Laugh track. Oh, they're
0: so funny! I'm so glad it's that so I good. paid money to be here.
1: <laughs> oh man. Oh. Sorry, <laughs> I'm not sure where I was going with that. That was awkward.
0: What did you say right before I started talking about that?
1: No memory. Absolutely no memory. If only I could find them fast enough. I'm gonna sing a song
0: and we're gonna pause there so I can think about what I was gonna say
1: yeah I've fallen down a reddit hole of trying oh, no. to find out whether oh, there's no. A, no, a, no. a super clean segue. <laughs> <Just> stop there <laughs> all right okay let's try let's uh let us <laughs> the next day Surte Mumbai Mumbai not the city Mumbai and Shulian.
0: maybe that's why they always say Lee Mumbai is because it makes you not say Mumbai
1: yeah. Moments later, Sir Dan day Mumbai, come, come, blah, 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 blah. I'm, I'm, now I got Mumbai in my head, and I can't get rid of it, but before Mumbai, bleh, I, but I pretty, yeah, doing, yeah, I don't, that, that goes back, okay, so this is, it,
0: oh, okay, okay, that makes much more sense.
1: God, I hope that's right, um, maybe I should check.
0: I, I think, uh,
1: now I am realizing I could have done this in a better way. Do you want to start from the top one more time?
0: Yeah.